0: Welcome back, everyone, to the 32nd episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menning, coming off a phenomenal weekend of football. Arjun, how'd you feel about it?
1: Yeah, great week of foot—great week of football, great weekend of football, however you want to put it. You know, we did recap the Thanksgiving games on our friday episodes if you're if you want to hear a little bit about that i would encourage to head over there but a lot of games came down to the wire had some games and pretty much on a two-point conversion so pretty exciting weekend of football and um you know we do go to michigan so big weekend for the blue as well and coming out with a huge dub in Columbus.
0: Yeah, no, that that was awesome. Fun watching it together. Even though my dad said it was going to be over after the first drive, we we talked him into, uh, you know, keep watching and everything and, and kept going there. And, you know, for this episode, you know, we had a decent amount of listener questions. So, you know, really appreciate everyone who set in something for us to talk about. But before we get to that, I just want to talk about Bengals Titans real quick. Um, you know, shout out to our friend, Benjamin Robinson. Uh, who who brought up, you know, that we've been lower on Burrow than most people. And, you know, that really has to be the story uh, of these this past month and a half for the Bengals. You know, they, they haven't had Jamar Chase. You know, their play calling is still spotty from time to time. But Burrow is, you know, just played really, really well. I think like, you know, 0.17 e-paper pass. He had a pretty good PFF grade. And overall, I've just liked what I've seen out of him.
1: Yeah. And again, like, I think we pick and choose what games we want to talk about. We normally like to talk about contenders and teams that are kind of relevant. And, you know, we haven't got a chance to talk about Burrow because his last like five games have come against the Steelers, the Panthers, the Browns, the Falcons and the Saints, right? Like all five of those teams are basically out of playoff contention. So this was, you know, a true test for Joe Burrow. And I thought he passed with, you know, flying colors. He didn't really make much mistakes. The offensive line was great as it has been for the past couple of games, and, you know, overall, I think it's now time to put the Bengals in like a legitimate contender, like Super Bowl contender category. I mean, I still think the Chiefs and the Bills are tier one, but I would firmly put the Bengals in the tier two category. And they're probably the team right now that I wouldn't want to play in the playoffs because you know, they have the playoff experience from last year and they, you know, they even though the, the explosive pass rate has gone down because of too high and, and the Jamar Chase injury, there's still the team that can t- create an explosive play within the snap of a hand. So I'm pretty excited to see what the Bengals do. And again, like you, know, you and me, we're lower on Burrow, but I think one of the things we do well is we can update our priors when new data and information is presented to us. And Burrow's now shown that he can sustain you know, his great play for weeks now, even without his number one receiver. Um, so you know, Burroughs now firmly in the tier two quarterback conversation, and I think the Bengals are transitioning to legit contenders this year.
0: I agree because you know, when you look at the success rate for the Bengals offense, uh this year they're fourth in success rate on offense, uh, you know, just behind the the Bills. Chiefs and Eagles. Last year, they were 17th uh, on success rate on offense. So that's what the difference is to me this year is you might not have the explosive plays, but something I don't think I saw coming as much as I should have is that the Bengals would be more methodical. And I think that really starts with their offensive line, right? Like Brad Spielberger uh, pointed out on Twitter, Bengals offensive line since week seven, 21% pressure rate allowed, which is the seventh best in the NFL. And then on true pass sets this season. So when you remove screens RPOs Play action, they've only allowed a 24% pressure rate, which is the best in the entire league. And like their offensive line taking that big of a jump this year, you know, Burrow has only gotten sacked twice in the past five weeks, has, you know, been been really impressive. And the combination of the offensive line, and I think Burrow being more willing to not always trying to go for the home run, but taking some singles and doubles instead when he can has really helped them. There's always going to be limitations for someone like him with his arm strength because you don't have the margin for error. That Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert have on a play level and on a game level. Yeah. But I think like we've we can kind of see like the best iteration of him with you know how they built up this team uh with him being on a rookie contract.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I want to give so many, you know, so much props to T. Higgins, who's really established himself as a wide receiver one in this league. And I mean, Burroughs now for at least two more years is going to get to throw to, or at least next year is going to get to throw to two number one receivers in the NFL. Like T Higgins would be a number one receiver on at least 60% of teams in the NFL. I'd go as far to say he's a top 10 receiver in this league. And he was pretty much the X factor in this game. One other point I wanted to bring up about this offense is like, I wonder if it's time for the Bengals to treat P. Ryan as, you know, a one B to mix in one A instead of a mix in once P. Ryan two. This year, Piron is averaging 0.43 rushing yards over expected compared to Mixon's negative 0.38. Now, the interesting thing about this, Piron's expected yards at the time of the handoff, according to, you know, Tej's, uh rushing yards over expected model, is 3.59, which is like really low. But considering the defenses he's gotten the most carries against, the Titans, top three run defense, the Steelers with TJ Watt back, a top 10 run defense, the, the Panthers with you know a solid front seven and then the Jets where he received nine carries again one of the best front sevens in the NFL so we haven't got to get, we haven't gotten to see P Ryan behind you know play against bad run defenses which I don't think Mixon has really taken advantage of that well this year he had the big game against the Panthers but other than that other than that he's kind of been a net negative on average for the Bengals so. I think a lot of good things have come out of the Bengals this year, and even without Chase, we got to see that they can sustain drives and they can, you know, drive the ball down the field against really good defenses. On the flip side, the Titans are going through their their um, yearly conundrum of giving the ball to Derrick Henry too much when it doesn't work. Negative. They average a negative zero point two three EPA per rush overall against the Bengals. Negative zero point three three for Derrick Henry alone. So, you know, did you ha- do you have any big takeaways for the Titans? offense after this game
0: I do think it is the opportunity cost problem that our friend Judah yep, wrote about that. a couple years ago yeah it's it's a great piece uh you know go check it out if you haven't already because when you think Derrick Henry is your best player and the entire media in Tennessee tells you that he's the engine of the offense and coaches say it. And the players think that you want to give the ball to Derrick Henry, but he's just not as efficient as a a drop back passing tag. And like we mentioned this uh, on last week's show, like Ryan Tannehill is, Quietly played well this year. Yeah. Uh, he's been super accurate. You know, he's PFS, the most accurate quarterback when you don't adjust for average depth of target or anything, but he has a fine average depth of target. And, like, all, all this stuff, you know, kind of can come together and, and really hurt your offense when, when you're, when you're looking at this type of stuff. And, you know, I just think that like the, the Titans want to think that running, you know, the ball with Derrick Henry will get them more single high looks, uh, and, and, you know, maybe make it easier for Ryan Tannehill, which makes sense because Ryan Tannehill has top five in EPA per pass against single high coverage this year and bottom five against two high. So it makes sense why they would want to think that, but we know that the run has already been established. It's been established for years now for the Titans, just purely by having Derrick Henry in the background, defenses will be in single high and will stack the box more so they can flip it on opposing defenses down the stretch and switch to a more pass-heavy attack if they want to but I don't see that happening
1: yeah again keyword want to we don't really haven't seen that from Arthur Smith we haven't seen that from Todd Downing and it's, it's just the problem last year where Henry comes back after missing the entire second half of the, of the year and the and Todd Downing gives him the ball 20 plus times for like 60 yards. Like you just can't win games that way in the playoffs because teams know you're going to give it to Henry. Mm-hmm. If they trust Tannehill, which we've been low on Tannehill, like most of the analytics community that isn't just EPA per play, he's good. Uh, it, like in film guys, will say he's not like he's an average quarterback or something. He's I think been good this year and he's taken what's been given. He's hit the deep shots to trailing Burks. Nick Westbrook at kind, like I think he's played above the level I expected to him this year. And, you know, I think the Titans will have to kind of rely on him down the stretch. The last point about this game. I mean, we've kind of outlined how Mike Vrabel kind of just absolves anything analytics, but him uh, kicking it on, I think like a fourth and four, fourth and five in the fourth quarter, just ended the Titans game. They didn't get the ball back after that. Cause the Bengals salted the game away from like s- for seven minutes. And, you know, the Titans only have one analytics staffer. I don't even think he's doing any game management stuff. He's probably more personnel or, you know, other, uh, some things outside of coaching analytics, but that really costs the Bengals and, or that really costs the Titans. And, you know, those kind of like edges, Mike Vrabel can make up for in other ways with his leadership, with how he prepares his team. But I mean, if you're Vrabel, you got to like really look into you know the past and realize the kind of severity of that decision to kick, kick it to go from a seven-point game to a four-point game because you know that basically lost the Titans the game right there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the the coaching was pretty big in this game because we saw Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo kind of do what the Titans defense does to most people where they just have more grit than the other team. Um, You know, you brought up Mike Mike Hilton having five run stops, yeah. you know, where where he's tackling Derrick Henry, someone who's, you know, 50 to 100 pounds uh, bigger than him. And, like, that's just something that, like, Luana Rumo, like get, like he just he's so good at designing specific game plans for the opposing offense that he's facing every week and making sure that his guys have a lot of grit and like they they just had more than, than the Titans had in this game, which is really interesting. You know, when we go to um Brown's Buccaneers here, like the like the Bucks are like kind of the opposite of that, right? Like they they just don't have much passion, much much perseverance right now. It it seems like. And like that starts at the top with Todd Bowles. So kind of like to take you know, everyone threw his, his fourth down into this game. Fourth and two with 240 left in the third quarter on the plus 37, so the Cleveland side of the field. You In this situation, you either kick the field goal, which, you know, you have probably a 50 60% chance of making, uh, or you take or you go for it and you try to, you know, hold on to the ball, keep moving it down the field. He did door number three, which was uh, taking a delay game, punting it into the end zone, so you only gain 17 yards of field position if you just went for it and, and miss. The next drive, fourth and three at midfield, he punts again. And and then, you know, the the punt after that, his defense allowed a fourth and 10 touchdown, uh, which was an insane catch from Njoku. But Man. like Bowles' decisions lost the Bucs the game.
1: Yeah, I agree. Just the coaching for the Bucs has made no sense this year. I was like looking into something for the Chargers in terms of like no huddle stuff. The the Buccaneers have the number one offense when running no huddle this year, when Brady like just like understands he has the personnel mismatch, when he sees a, a linebacker or a slot corner that he wants to pick on a play after that a successful play, they've been the best offense in the league. Like it's not even Todd Bowles like Byron left, which I don't think has got, you know, been very good mm-hmm. this year, which is super surprising given that he was one of the hottest head coaching candidates on the market last year. Right. And I I really like question how much of the Buck success in 2021 or 2020 has been Brady versus Bowles in brady versus Leftwich, in, even arians right so i think coaching has held the bucks back for this pretty much a lar- a large part of the season and i mean the the browns I, I just like i can't even speak on how how well they came back in that game and then the njoku catch is definitely a top five catch of the year candidate but you know staying on the browns like you know now obviously they're going from brissette to deshaun watson um we we kind of highlighted earlier in the summer about like what that kind of like impact will have on the Browns offense in terms of Deshaun's mobility and they're already the best rush offense in the league but you know we do want to say props to Jacoby Brissett for kind of having a year no one really expected throwing to basically Amari Cooper I know Donovan Donovan Peoples-Jones go blue and all, all that but he's more suited to be a wide receiver three he's kind of like a Darnell Mooney type so you know props to Brissett. Uh, he's he's a great backup and I hope he does get a starting job somewhere.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, 14th in EPA play this season, but like he ended up with a bad record because of how bad their defense was and just bad one score luck. But yeah, I'm also hoping that Brissett, you know, gets a gets an opportunity to, to start next year as well. And, you know, I, I think like just having Amari Cooper there and like the trade that they made for Amari Cooper. I mean, only trading a fifth round pick. I know the contract uh has to be factored in there and everything. And then signing Najoku ahead of the curve, you know, ahead of before he had this breakout season this year the Browns are still making smart analytical moves on offense and you know they've they've kind of put pieces together On defense, but the pieces just don't mesh together. You know, you can put uh, blame on their defensive coordinator or you can put blame on them completely punting on interior defensive line and, you know, being one of the worst uh, run defenses in recent NFL history. But I still think that there is some juice for the Browns there. And like with Deshaun Watson going forward, we could see that. It's just going to be tough to kind of rebound and save your defense going into this offseason when you spent this much money on your quarterback position.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, Okay, so let's move on to our listener questions that we got from Twitter. So shout out to everyone who asked a question left a review. We're going to start off with a question from Kyle Bowler's burner. It goes by add ball and baller on Twitter with two R's at the end. So he said uh, the sum of all running back rushing yards over was the sum of all running backs rushing yards over expected lower this week compared to prior weeks. He basically asked us to add up the rushing yards overexpected for week 12 for running backs and compare to weeks one through 11. And does a trend like this exist, exist for prior years? So I know you did your research because it's your model. So what did you find there?
0: Yeah, he's he's right about this. Uh, the first five weeks of this season, the total rushing yards overexpected for each week was about zero, which makes sense. The last five weeks, the rushers haven't had a week above negative 100 total rushing yards overexpected. Okay. Uh, week 11 was particularly low, is the lowest of the season. Week 12 was also pretty low, but not as low. And then we see a trend throughout the season where rushing yards overexpected usually starts off pretty low. It'll peak around week five, then it'll valley again uh, from week five to 10, and then it'll it'll slowly work its way back up as we get close to the playoffs. And what I kind of thought as my my theory or my hypothesis for this is teams find their best running back by week five and they start running them a ton. And then those running backs get injured or they get burnt out or they they have too much of a workload. And then they they kind of crater going into week 10. And then the the teams start to either give more workload to a fresher running back or a healthier one. And that kind of leads to the uptick. What do you think about that theory?
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like we, we just talked about Samaj Pirine and he's kind of the best example of that. Mixon mm-hmm. is the kind of, you know, work, workhorse running back at 18 to 20 carries a game or something. And Pirine's more fresher, hasn't really seen a ton of carries. And he is, you know, averaging up, I think what we said, 0.43 EPA, per, or 0.43 rushing or never expected. And it's kind of like, you know, we don't, pride ourselves and we don't want to pride ourselves on being a fantasy football podcast, but like, it's also the fantasy football thing. Like usually like the championship games are also won by these waiver wire pickups, like mm-hmm. backup running backs, you get thrust into these starting roles either because a team is resting a veteran guy or, or their running back gets hurt down the stretch. So, you know, I think it's a, it's pretty interesting. Obviously there's some su- survivorship bias there just for running backs that stay on a team versus get getting cut like Melvin Gordon or even getting injured like a Javante Williams. But definitely a very interesting question. Appreciate Kyle Bowler's burner for asking that. Um, let's move on to a question by username BuffBree, at BuffBree513 on Twitter. They asked, how would you fix the Ravens? They make me mad. <laughs> uh, why don't you kick it off there?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't think the Ravens need too much fixing. Yeah. They rank seventh in offensive EPA per play on the season, 10th since week 10. So it's not like they're in... A slump or anything i do think the ravens need a tune-up at positions that really affect the passing game because they don't have depth at positions like wide receiver and cornerback and i think that really affects them um you know they rank 16th in e paper pass despite lamar being a, a good passer he showed that on sunday against the jaguars and 17th in defending the pass so when we really dig into each side of the ball They were way too reliant on Rashad Bateman either taking a big jump this year to become a true wide receiver one or staying healthy. And they were pretty weak at, you know, uh, the, the position if Rashad Bateman were to not take the jump or not get healthy, he gets injured and all of a sudden Devin Duvernay and Deshaun Jackson are your wide receiver one and two, which is not good at all. On the other side of things, when the corners started to get injured against the Dolphins, it looked like they were you know, sending out like the DoorDash drivers that they are sending out <laughs> last year, but those were supposed to be their second strings. So they, they let the Dolphins come back. They let the Jaguars come back because their corner depth yeah. wasn't that good there, and Trevor Lawrence was able to pick it all apart. So they really need to get depth at receiver and corner to account for injuries or players not taking a step up.
1: Yeah, the the Ravens in one-score games have just been like so weird this year. I mean, like you said, st- starting Brandon Stephens at outside corner, at the end of games like you're, it's just not going to work out and i think you know the point about bateman the lamar ranks uh has the second highest drop rate in the nfl his receivers have dropped the ball on 9.1 percent of his uh passing attempts which again without bateman that's going to happen like he's throwing to duvernay duvernay is a wide receiver two probably best as a three uh to really excel like it's just tough for lamar and like it, it's tough to really get an evaluation on him because he is the offense. You stick anyone else in this offense and they're averaging a negative EPA per mm-hmm. play. Like there is no help for Lamar outside of really Mark Andrews. The run game is, is a bunch of veteran guys. There's no juice there. J.K. Dobbins hasn't played right. Like I think the Ravens need to find their footing on offense before they hit the playoffs because I think this defense is great when everyone is healthy and they looked to be coming into, into form. i mean recent weeks and M- Mike McDonald has got, has got his footing, but I just you can't really blow these games week after week, especially in the fourth quarter. And I know one score games are fluky, but these these kind of games have just been reoccurrences every week because the Ravens, I think our friend Eric Eager said this, have gone up 10 in every single game, 10 or more in every single game this year. And they just continuously blow it because I don't think they can extend leads based on their wide receiver depth.
0: Yeah, I, I, I just think, you know, at the beginning of the year, I thought that the Ravens were a Super Bowl contender with the way that, everyone was playing and I think like now their ceiling is probably maxed out the AFC championship game. Like if they, if they make the AFC championship game, they lose to either the bills or the chiefs. Like, I think that would be considered a a successful season based on where they are now. But right now it just seems like, you know, it'll be a a grind for them to get through the wild card round and the uh, divisional round to, to even get there just because they don't have that depth.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Um, okay, let's move on to a question from our uh, mutual friend. Sam Hoppen, goes by at Sam Hoppin on Twitter. Um, this one's a fun one. He says, what do you have against Tua, a winning quarterback, you know, trademarked? And when will the pro Herbert propaganda stop? So let's start off with this. Like, you know, you, if you, they search at Tage FB analytics Tua on Twitter, on the Twitter search. It's a lot of positive things. Right? I top shows up well in accuracy rate of respected bunch of graphs about him. I obviously implore people not to do that for me because it's, <laughs> it's a different story uh, for different reasons, obviously. But yeah, I think like I, we don't really have a, anything against Tua and like just preparing for this question before the podcast. Like I think the main question I would have for you, Sam, or like any you know, person who really wants to understand this game more is how do we separate Tua from his offense? How do we separate Tua, the quarterback, from the scheme, from his receivers, from how open they get, from, you know, just the impact that Mike McDaniel has on this offense? How does a quarterback go from being a below-average Guy, in terms of EPA per play, to the number one quarterback in the league in almost every quarterback metric. Like, that is the thing I'm trying to figure out. And we've, again, we've only had now eight or nine starts of Tua, right? It's tough to really extrapolate that to a full season. And again, he hasn't really played high caliber opponents in the past four weeks since coming back from his concussion, right? And I'll give him a pass in the Steelers game, but after that, we haven't really seen you know, him play a great team. And now he goes up against the 49ers, which I think is the true test. So my kind of response to, you know, how we kind of like evaluate to is like, we got to figure out how to just simply evaluate him versus everything else on that offense. Is that kind of similar to what you had or something different?
0: I, I tend to agree with a lot of what you said for Tua. I think it's actually a little bit easier to evaluate him uh separated from his supporting cast because we saw it happen. We saw two games of Teddy Bridgewater, one game of Skylar Thompson. And I know these, you know, Bridgewater is kind of like a journeyman, uh, below average starter to to back up. And Skylar Thompson is obviously a third string quarterback. But Bridgewater, you know, had a 0.06 EPA per play, which ranks 22nd out of 43 qualifying quarterbacks. Tua has a 0.4 EPA per play uh, as Dolphins quarterback this year, which is first, which is higher than Patrick Mahomes. So we can see that, you know, it's a very small sample size for Bridgewater. But when you take Tua versus Bridgewater in the exact same circumstances where Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and Mike McDaniel were all there for all of these games, we can see that Tua has been better than than Bridgewater this year. And, like, the most impressive thing for me about Tua is – there hasn't been a weakness for him in yeah. this offense that's been found yeah. yet too high he's first in epa per pass against single high he's first in epa per pass against you can't blitz him because he'll pick you apart uh with with hill and waddle rushing 4 and dropping 7 doesn't work man in zone coverage doesn't work he still has a positive epa per pass when pressured only him and josh allen have that in the league so like that's like the crazy thing is like all these other T- high-end passing attacks that hasn't been Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen there have been weaknesses found about them like the Rams last year the drop eight stuff killed yeah. them for a month throughout the season for the bagels we you know we talked about how the cover two stuff like really messed with them you know there's there's other quarterbacks that have had weaknesses found out against them and like I'm sure two will get found eventually but eight games of this happening where it hasn't been found is pretty pretty insane I think
1: yeah, I think the one pushback I would say there about your Bridgewater, skyler Thompson point, like Bridgewater and Thompson played the Vikings, the Bengals, and the Jets. All three of defenses which are above average in EPA per play allowed. So, you know, again, Tua had has not had the gauntlet of of the schedules going against the Texans, um, you know, the Bears, the Lions, the, the Browns. Like it, it's not that tough of a schedule. But I, I do understand your point. It's obviously like go like pretty much eight times uh bridgewater's epa's is something that's not easy to do so obviously giving a lot of props to two and uh to sam's second point when will the pro herbert propaganda stop it won't uh (laughs) herbert's you know herbert to me is what stafford is to tage like if herbert leaves i'll you know i'll still root for him and everything like that and you know herbert for all all it's you know pretty much like all the stats that have come down on him this year he's still you know i think he's just getting healthier and he's put together i think a couple of good weeks so um excited to see what both quarterbacks do to finish the season and I hope both quarterbacks are able to make the playoffs and potentially get a matchup at some point.
0: I think that the 2021 uh sorry 2020 quarterback class Burrow uh Herbert um Allen and or sorry not Allen Tua and Hertz just need to do like a round robin tournament yeah so that we can like finally just nail down like who who the best is because like these will just be debated forever um we I think we have you know more sophisticated debates about it on Twitter than Emmanuel Acho does when he does whatever show he's doing but there's still you know pretty a lot of toxicity about these these quarterbacks in in that class
1: yeah I agree okay. Next question comes from Vinny Calabresi or Calabrese. I apologize if we butchered, your, if I butchered your name. It goes by ad Vinnie Cal. Should the Bills still be considered the number one threat to the Chiefs in the AFC? betting market
0: implied ratings have the bills as 1.2 points uh, better than the chiefs right now in a neutral field. So if the chiefs get the one seed, which I think that they will uh, they'll, they'll get the buy. So, you know, you have the advantage of that and then they'll be playing a home playoff game against the bills in the AFC championship game. So I think that game would be a pick um right now, uh, and, and, you know, PFF's model has the Chiefs as 35% to win the AFC, Bills at 24%, and then it drops all the way down to Titans, Ravens, and Dolphins at 10, 9, and 8% respectively. So I do think that the Bills are the biggest threat to the Chiefs right now. The Bills are just in a little bit of a slump right now, whether it's Josh Allen's elbow or, you know, the design rushing game outside of Allen mm-hmm. not being able to, you know, get a lot of juice flowing or just their secondary, you know, having some communication issues or, you know, as, as they get healthier and all that stuff, there's, there's small things that, you know, they're capable at the bills, but, you know, really at the end of the day, when it's Mahomes versus Allen, it's just going to be whoever makes the, that last play in yeah. the fourth quarter, like it was in the divisional round or sorry, the, yeah, the divisional round um, a year ago, like it was in the game that they played early in the season. It's, it's just who gets the ball in the last drive and who makes the big time throw on that last drive.
1: Yeah, there's no real quarterback that comes close to Josh, or there is a couple of quarterbacks that come close to Allen's caliber, but right now it's like Mahomes one, Allen two, maybe Herbert two, but Allen, you know, has kind of shown that he's able to do it a little bit better than Herbert. And no obviously the <laughs> the playoff argument is, is there because Allen's made the playoff and now uh two straight years. Three straight. I think three straight. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, Bills are stole the number one threat, and they should get Trey White back. Hopefully, they get Von Miller and, and Greg Rousseau back at some point before the playoffs, because you need as many defensive guys as you can to stop Mahomes. Um, okay, let's move on to this question by Jake, goes by at the J Wall five six seven. What should Josh Jacobs slash Saquon Barkley get in free agency if the deals were team-friendly? And what would you guys expect can can apply to any of these free agent running backs? So I'll start off by saying, like, the free agent running back class is, like, very good. Uh, uh, like you said, Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley are the headliners. And so the problem is with Jacobs and Barkley, they're having an insane year, but they're also having a ton of volume. And I think, like, you're going to be buying high on these running backs, which you don't really want to do. Because coming off a season with a ton of volume, like, They're already they're both hitting the thousand mark carry. Like Jacobs is easily gonna surpass it. I think Barkley will surpass it at least in year one or two of his um of his new deal. So, like if you're a team and and like an outside team who's never worked with Josh Jacobs, if you're not the Giants and the Raiders, like you have to really be confident in your sports science staff that you can keep guys like this healthy because Jacobs is already been uh, really banged up. He just had 33 carries and is questionable for this upcoming week against the Chargers with a calf strain. He's had injury histories in the past, but despite all of that, he's a very good running back. Mm. I think he should easily be in that tier one or at least tier two of running back. So tier one is, McCaffrey, Kamara, and Elliott, 15 mil or 16 mil. And then tier two is the Dalvin Cooks, Nick Chubbs, Aaron Jones at about 12 mil. I don't think he's tier one. Actually, I'm going to say he's he's more of a tier two guy. I could easily see him getting 12.5, 12.6 on the market three years, four years. If he resigns with the Raiders, I think that kind of first round pick bias will kind of play into that, that he's a homegrown talent and, you know, he's kind of fought through a ton of injuries. And I think he goes up to 13.2, 13.3 mil. But if he goes and signs elsewhere where teams are not as familiar with his injury history or like how he performs in that scheme, I think we see him closer to getting like 12.3, 12.4 million Mm dollars.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're you're the contract guy, so I usually, you know, give it to you on on this one. Just when I was kind of looking at, you know, kind of how the the running backs are tiered contract wise, there's no running back that makes between eight million dollars and twelve million dollars, yeah. uh, you know, APY in the NFL right now. And I think while Jacobs's agent or Saquon's agent will fight for between twelve to fifteen uh, million dollars a year. I don't think if they were to come back on team friendly deals, because I think what both the Raiders and Giants are trying to do here is they're saying, we're probably not going to re sign you. So we're going to run you into the ground this year. We're going to work up your carries because we don't really want to. Both of them have performed really well. So maybe they're reconsidering signing them. I think they have to get paid between eight and 12 million if the team actually wants to take them back because they understand better than anyone the limitations of, you know, kind of like giving such a big workload to these running backs. So, you know, I think that you know, these running back, like James James Conner, Leonard Fournette, Naeem Hines are making six, seven million. So they're going to get more than that. But I don't think they can get Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb money at 12 million if the teams, if their original teams that they're playing on right now decide to go forward with them. Maybe they get that on the open market.
1: Yeah. And again, like these numbers we're referencing, like we have to account for inflation here. So and the problem, like we have to account for inflation, number one. So the 12 is more like like 12.6, 12.7. But also like you literally look at the top the top contracts, everything above $12 million are re-signed, right? Mm -hmm. So if the Raiders and uh, Giants don't re-sign Jacobs and Barkley, respectively, like it's going to be very tough for them to get a big deal on the open market. Like they're very talented players, but they're hitting that threshold where eventually we see efficiency fall off. So it's a, it's a very tough decision. You know, the running back stone matter movement is I think sometimes goes too far because obviously for some offenses like the Raiders and the Giants, they do matter a bit um but it's I, I could definitely see them getting above 10 million if they leave their respective teams but the only way they're going to be a tier two contract is if they resign and that's just pretty tough to do given that joe shane and uh dave ziegler did not draft these two running backs and they're you know part of a new regime
0: yeah no i definitely agree with that
1: okay last quarter last question we have from our uh from twitter from JP goes by jpmr 34 what are your top 5 individual QB seasons so let's just do this quickly without you know, giving too much of a reason but we can you know you start off one I'll go one and then from there
0: mahomes for me
1: yeah mahomes number one and then
0: allen number two
1: allen number two
0: i have jalen hurts number three
1: i have joe burrow number three okay <laughs> part of that is you know the discussion we had earlier in the episode
0: and then i have joe burrow number four
1: I have a uh, typical Geno number four
0: <laughs> and then I'll, I'll have Gino number five.
1: Surprisingly, I have Tannehill at five, just because I, I think he's outperformed expectations.
0: So what's, give me some reasoning for Tannehill over Hertz and not including Hertz in your top five.
1: Yeah. So I think like, I, I just thought of this as like, if I stuck, you know, any of these five quarterbacks, including Tannehill in that Eagles offense, like would they have similar enough success like there wouldn't be too much of a drop off. like hurts, they go from like top five epa to like top 10 which i, I don't think is like that big of a drop off and i think i think you could say that and i think like again we talked about it on our last episode like we just had a discussion we didn't really agree on it about the coaching staff and hurts like and how much faith they put in his drop back passing like i just wonder if given if nick sirianni who i think is a very smart guy I think he values the pass more than the run. If he was given the opportunity to play with a, a dropback first quarterback like Burrow, Alan or Mahomes, or Justin Herbert, like how much more would they be passing? Like how much more would their drop back efficiency improve with, you know, a quarterback like that versus Hertz? That's kind of why I put Tannehill in there, just because I think he's overperformed my expectations based on what I had for him in the preseason and like especially given the receivers he's throwing it to.
0: I I can kind of see that. But if you're going to talk about the signal and volume with Hertz, then you have to talk about the signal and volume with Tannehill. Like it's clear that the Titans don't want to put the entire offense on him. And that might be because of Derrick Henry, like we talked about earlier, but like they just don't like when Tannehill has to drop back more often than they're running the ball in these games. And I feel more comfortable with, you know, dropping back or doing design runs with Hertz because of what a Russian quarterback can do to free up your design run game. And like the kind of like what Miles Sanders you know who's I don't think that great of a yeah. rusher. You know his efficiency has been good this year, though. Yeah. Uh, because of hurts like moving linebackers away, I just don't think Tannehill gives you that. But then I don't know if that should be factored in top five individual quarterback seasons. That might just be you know something about rushing quarterback value going forward.
1: Yeah, uh, you're you're right, and there is a signal in volume. It's it's the whole Russell Wilson conundrum, which somehow got brought up on Twitter by I think Ethan Douglas, our mutual friend, yeah. and you know Robbie Greer commented on it, and then Udit, who works for uh, Sumer Sports, another friend of ours, you know, we went back and forth. So there's definitely a signal in volume. I think part of it is also the Titans just don't have the supporting cast to sustain a high drop back volume. Their offensive line is pretty bad without mm-hmm. Taylor Lewan. So just some confounding factors there. But I, I just personally think Tannehill's kind of outperformed uh, my expectations this year.
0: Yeah. I do think so too as well. I've been very impressed with the way Tana Hill has played this, this year. So yeah, those, those are all the listener questions uh we got. We really appreciate everyone sending them in and you guys leaving reviews. And, you know, we, we read off the ones that of uh, people who showed that they left a review first and then got to some of the other questions as well. So thank you guys for that. We'll, we'll definitely do something like this in a couple of weeks again. Uh, and then we'll, we'll transition to our award segments. So our, who was him and our letdowns of the week him you are All right. so we're going to give out our who was him awards, you know, best players and coaches from the past week. and I have to start with New York Football Jets quarterback Mike White leading the league in e per play last week in a monsoon, got an 81 PFF grade. And this is exactly what the Jets need, right? You have a top three defense. You have a really good supporting cast. And Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, uh, you know, pretty good play caller. And just like, as long as someone can come in there and not screw things up as badly as Zach Wilson was doing, I think this can work. And, and Mike White did exactly that on Sunday.
1: Yeah, the, it was great. And I wonder if we see Mike White continue this you know, for the rest of the season, does go up against a little bit of a better defense than the Vikings, mm-hmm. but you know, really great performance by him. I'm going to go with my guy, Josh Jacobs, who we just talked about. 229 yards on the ground, 6.9 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, broke six tackles, had you know 3 carries of 15 yards or more i mean he was just dominant against this uh seahawks defense and i mean he's going to be big cuz if he d- if he plays against the chargers he's going to go for like 150 right so he's been really impressive all year and i thought this was like his best performance um and you know sealing the game with that like 80 plus yard touchdown was just awesome to watch mm-hmm. even if it did even if he is on the raiders
0: <laughs> love that yeah uh, i'll i'll go jaguars wide receiver Zay jones Led the league in uh, receiving yards this past week, uh, 147 receiving yards, uh, fourth highest yards per route run. Six catches in the fourth quarter, three on that you know f- crucial final drive with some awesome throws from Trevor Lawrence, especially the hole shot down the left side, and then he caught the two point conversion. Um, great decision by Doug Peterson to go for that considering he was an underdog and the more that the game played out, it gave a better chance for the Ravens to win. Zay Jones just, you know, ran a good route on that conversion. Trevor Lawrence hit him and that was game.
1: Yeah, big game for him. I mean, wide receiver pretty much three on that offense. And I think he showed up big in a game where Christian Kirk was kind of taken away by the Ravens. So great game by him and a big target for T-Law. I'm going to go with someone who I think, or I think we both think is pretty underrated. Mike Hilton, five uh, total defensive stops, four run stops against the Titans he's one of those guys where you send him on a sloppish slot blitz off the edge and just like set and forget where he's going to get to the quarterback. And he was, I mean, he's like five ten and he's still bringing down Derek Henry. Like I like that one of his best games of his career. And he's done this in multiple games against the Titans now where he shows up in these big moments. And I thought this game was a a great game to give an award to him.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was, he was phenomenal in this game. Um, Really big piece for the the Bengals defense right now. Uh, I'll I'll give my last award to, Uh, Seahawks safety Quandre Diggs, two interceptions off Derek Carr. One of the funniest plays I've ever seen where the Seahawks had a 12th man run onto the field to celebrate his first interception, uh, 85 PFF grade. And it goes back. I remember sitting in my dorm freshman year, getting the notification that the Lions had traded Quandre Diggs for basically nothing to the Seattle Seahawks. And I freaked out because I thought he was a really good player. And that's back when I didn't even know ball. Like I I still don't (laughs) know, but like, at least I know more than I did now. And I and like used to, like it was just a terrible decision by uh Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia and cause he's been absolutely nails for the Seahawks and deserves a lot of recognition.
1: Yeah, I mean we got to question whether him or Jamal Adams are the be- is the better safety <laughs> back end. Uh but yeah, he's at, he's had a great year and he's been great for the Seahawks since they traded for him. Um I'm gonna wrap it up with another um Cincy player, uh T Higgins, seven catches, hundred fourteen yards. He's really earning a wide receiver one contract this year. Uh pretty much totaled eight points on his receptions alone. So huge part of the Bengals offense, totally mossed. Um, I believe it was Roger McCreary on the end zone back shoulder fade. So big part of that Bengals offense and part of why I think they've stayed upright without Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great one as well. This is the Bengals love podcast
1: <laughs> for everyone said that, <laughs> that
0: we were hating on them out there. Here's our, here's our retribution. Yeah, uh, Let's get to our letdowns. I have to start off with Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, You know, last year, I think a lot of people said that Urban Meyer was one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, recent NFL coaching hires. And Hackett might be worse, honestly. Like, Robert Mays put this out. The Broncos ranked dead last in points per game, points per drive. The 31st in special teams EPA, which we know coaching has a lot of influence over. And they lead the league in penalties with 26 combined delay a game and false start. Calls. and like at least urban had a week last year where they beat the bills yeah. and like it was actually a good win like the jaguars actually played well even the the broncos wins don't feel like wins and this loss to the panthers was as ugly as it can get letting sam donald roll into the end zone against you just not getting any type of offense i think he might be one of the worst coaches that i've ever seen play out and um amelia probes our our friend ran uh my wins over expected coaching uh and he ranks last uh you know no surprise um um, in that in that metric
1: scoring three points in non-garbage time against the panthers is yeah i just don't i don't even know what to say anymore but that's a great uh candidate i'm gonna go with bill belichick because Mm -hmm. he led primetime kirk average 0.3 epa per play and for all the talk we kind of preview that game a little bit um that Belichick might be running his padded and cover one double Justin Jefferson still had nine catches on a hunt for 139 yards like I think he ran the cover one double it just didn't work and you know I don't really know what the game plan was for the for the Patriots I think they thought Jonathan Jones was the better corner over Jack Jones but it's just not the type of game you want and you know for most of the season like it's been Belichick kind of carrying this team and then Patricia and Judge not really having good games uh, play calling wise, but this game has flipped and, you know, it's one of the first times we've really seen the Patriots on primetime. We'll see them again um, on Thursday against the Bills. But yeah, those are the kind of games you don't really want to be seen by the public. If you're Bill Belichick and I, that was just a complete uh, bad performance by him and the rest of the defense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I like this one. I was pretty disappointed in Belichick as well. I, I did expect better from him, but your point about the Patriots being susceptible to really strong wide receiver ones, I think is something that has you know, some, some direction in it, yeah. because when you look at kind of like what the Patriots can do, like they can take away a bunch of wide receiver twos because their corners are really good at that, but a true, you know, top five receiver is going to eat them up. And I think we saw that on Thursday. And so, yeah, so that's, that's all we had for, for this episode. Again, appreciate all the listeners sending in questions. Really enjoyed doing that. We'll be back with our Friday preview show, some really, really great games to preview this week. So be on the lookout for that. Appreciate everyone listening. Until next time on Take the Points.